Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend, Chapter 7. Nobody can scry where the bull is, Lawrence said. Nobody's entirely sure why or how. But any of us with a drop of magic in their blood has tried over the years and nothing ever works. It may have something to do with the prophecy, or it may not. But that doesn't change the fact that magic cannot find the bull for us. Even your own bull, the Black Bull of the South, is completely veiled from magical searches. Wherever you left it all those years ago, it has most likely remained there to this very day. Noel frowned at this statement. That's going to make getting it tricky then, right? I mean, we did all the legwork the first time around. Now you're saying they copped on and just moved it. Not exactly sporting, is it? Maeve reached across the table and clipped him hard on his left ear. He took the not-so-subtle hint and rubbing the ear smiled at the crone. I didn't mean to interrupt. As I was saying, nobody can find the bull via magical means, so it's well and truly hidden in that respect. However, as everything faded into myth and legend, whoever was entrusted with guarding the bull, well, for want of a better word, they forgot. Forgot what? Drug asked, keeping an eye on a corner of the hovel where the shadows had gathered in a way that shadows had no right to gather. Forgot what they were guarding. It seems that as each generation passed it on from one to another, from father to son, the tale of what it really was was being viewed as a joke that the grandfather played. Nobody around here actually believes that the brown bull is the one from the cattle raid. Then how do we find out where the boys need to go? Maeve asked. Oh, that bit's easy. I already know where the bull is. Noel moved his chair a half foot away from the table. Hang on there a second. You literally just told us there's no way of scrying the whereabouts by magic. I did, the crone said. But as I also just explained, nobody believes the bull is the one from the legend. Meaning that while it is magically concealed, humans with loose lips and limited brains freely reveal what magic cannot. So you just asked somebody, Maeve said, baffled that such a tactic actually worked. Lauren nodded her head, smiling her black-toothed smile at all in the room. People around here hate dealing with the crone McGarry, so they tell me things just to get me to leave. I even know the name of the family that haven't been guarding the bull properly all this time. The only problem is that over the last few years I've tried to scry for him as well, but whatever obscures the bull from me seems to keep him hidden from me. It looks like you boys may need to go to town. Get some information the old-fashioned way. Filthy Henry had been around the block a few times. A benefit to living over 90 years, but ageing gracefully. This had meant that in the many decades he'd been alive, preventing the human and fairy worlds from colliding in a spectacular fashion, he had worked with all sorts of individuals. In his experience, people, be they human or fairy, always turned out a certain way because of how their lives had gone. Somebody who had been lucky their entire life may not necessarily deal well with something not going completely to plan. On the other hand, 
a person that had worked to get all the little luxuries they enjoyed, would rise to any challenge, as if it was just another day in the office. Which meant that he had a fair idea about how to deal with Cahill. Cahill was stubborn and slightly narcissistic. Traits Filthy Henry did not exactly disapprove of. So long as his day involved some drinking, some sleeping, and as little actual work as possible, then Cahill would be happy. Meaning that in order to get him involved in such a minor task as saving the entire world from yet another magical catastrophe, a slightly stubborn approach would be required. Luckily, Filthy Henry was very proud of just how stubborn he could be. Particularly when it involved getting somebody else to do his work. After Cahill had thrown a very age-inappropriate temper tantrum, demanding that everyone vacated his run-down home, the ferry detective had sent Shelley and Drew back to town and opted to spend the night with Cahill to explain to him about magic and the world. This had been met with the two predictable responses. Shelley was only too delighted to go back to what she classed as civilization, purely because she did not expect Cahill's house to have working indoor plumbing. Meanwhile, Cahill had tried to show Filthy Henry the door once Drew and Shelley had left, a feat the fairy detective had made slightly more difficult to achieve via a tiny bit of magic. Full-blood fairies would have managed to do this trick by actually removing the door from the building. In fact, they would have just removed every door and window in the house completely, trapping the occupants inside until they decided to return the entrances. It was one of the nastier methods used by certain fairy races to torture humans they wanted to play with. Filthy Henry would have been able to perform a similar spell, but it would have drained his internal magic pool greatly, making the act of bringing the doors back somewhat impossible. However, a much easier spell, which achieved the same effect, cost a lot less magic for the fairy detective. After all, there was no need to remove the doors and windows from the house if he could just as easily convince somebody that they had been removed from the house themselves. All the spell had to do was prevent the person from seeing what was directly in front of their eyes. In essence, it was a basic glamour spell that took into account the human brain's natural ability to fill in the blanks when confronted with magic. Something the mortal mind knew nothing about and could truly not grasp. Instead of causing the person to pass out when they tried to look at a door which the spell told them was not there, the brain just told the person they were looking at a blank wall and carried on. Filthy Henry watched as Cahill stared down the hallway at his front door, convinced it was replaced with a brick wall, and smiled. Something wrong? he asked. Cahill looked thoroughly confused. He pointed his finger at the entrance that his mind was telling him no longer existed. He slowly lowered his hand, and then walked back into the room, sitting down on the sofa that had seen better years. Am I still in the pub drunk? Is all this a dream? Filthy Henry shook his head once and pulled over one of the kitchen chairs. He positioned it in front of the sofa and sat down. Carl, you're just going to have to trust me on a few things here. Understand? There was no indication that he had heard the question. Great. I'm sure a lot of what's going to happen over the coming days will seem a little strange. But don't worry, it's actually really normal. Part and parcel of the everyday world. You just get to see it for the first time. Plus. At the end of it all, I could do a little wiggle of my fingers and hey presto, you'll think it was all just a massive bender you went on. But, I really can't stress this enough. You're going to have to do exactly what I need you to do. You follow my instructions and I get out of your hair. I'll be gone, 
and you can go back to beating up the single brain cell you still have rattling around in your head. Cahill shook his head and looked at the fairy detective. Are you telling me that my front door just disappearing is normal? How can it be normal? Doors don't just vanish into thin air. Filthy Henry nodded. Yep, totally normal. Besides, I need you to stay in here and listen to the words that I'm saying. I need you to realise that you have, for possibly the first time in your miserable life, a chance to do something truly great. Something that will make a difference. I'm going to spend tonight convincing you, one way or another, that this is the best thing you could do. And for everyone, not just yourself. Not many people get that opportunity to do something amazing, and you want to throw it away. You have a chance here to become a legend. The door just vanished. Hey, the windows are all gone as well, Cahill said. There's no way that's normal. Magic isn't real. When you deal long enough with people and you can see when they start to think, seriously think about what's just been said, as they consider things the mental puzzle pieces start to fall into place. Right then, Filthy Henry could tell Cahill was mulling things over. So, what's in this for me? Cahill said after a minute of silence. This was a response Filthy Henry had expected. You either did something for the good of the many, or you did it to benefit yourself. Nothing about Cahill screamed martyr. The very detective settled back into his seat and spread his arms wide. Well, what do you want? he said. Within reason, mind you. I'm not some genie granting wishes over here. Cahill leaned forward and rested his elbows atop his knees, clasping his hands together in front of him. He looked directly into Filthy Henry's eyes. I want whatever this job is to be so impressive that it scores me a date with Alice, he said. The fairy detective stared at Cahill for a few seconds, then blinked. Alice? Who the feck is Alice? Drew watched Shelley firing clothes into her suitcase from the safety of the hallway. If you thought about her current situation logically, then Shelley really only had herself to blame. After all, who unpacked their entire suitcase just after checking into her room? More so when you were on a case with Filthy Henry. He changed plans quicker than most people blinked. The Druid considered offering to help, but realised this would move him into the danger zone voluntarily, and thought better of it. He instead decided to say a few words of encouragement. See, that didn't take long at the end. Plus, you at least got to sleep here one night, he said, then proceeded to duck as a shoe sailed past the spot formerly occupied by his head. You could have told me, she said, bundling some shirts and jumpers into the suitcase. Well, you've worked with him for ages now. I thought you knew what he was like. Don't forget to get his bag. Shelley picked up the matching shoe to the previous missile she had fired at Drew and glared at him. Uh, the door's open, right? Uh, I'll go get that now then, sure thing. No problem. Don't even need to ask, silly me. He went to the ferry detective's room and collected the brown battered suitcase. Never in Drew's wildest nightmares had he ever envisioned carrying filthy Henry's luggage. Putting charms and runes around the store to prevent the thieving Ginger Pratt from coming in, definitely. Collecting his bag while he bullied some poor drunk. Not at all. As the druid returned to Shelley's room, she stepped out into the hallway, collected her shoe and closed the door behind her. They passed the old woman on the front desk, still knitting away without a care in the world. Shelley gave her a smile that seemed to involve the bare minimum of facial muscles. 
and dropped the room keys on the desk. Without missing a beat, the old lady smiled back and continued with her knitting. Drew had to quicken his pace in order to catch up with Shelley, who left enough cash on the desk to cover their bill, before walking down the hall and out the front door onto the street. I really don't get what your problem is. I mean, we need to get this loser up to hero levels. It makes sense that his trainers live with him. Considering what a monumental screw-up Cahill seems to be, probably best if we're there to keep an eye on him. Shelley shot the druid a dirty look and marched down the path towards a waiting taxi. No, we really don't. We could stay in the nice little bed and breakfast and enjoy some comfort at the end of the day. Instead, we're going to be in a house that looks like it's colder on the inside than the outside, with a perpetual bachelor who probably considers a pint of stout as a meal. Why even bother sending us back last night, only to ring this morning and tell us to check out? But isn't this one of those the-needs-of-the-many type situations, where the good guys have to make a few sacrifices so that the greater good is served in the end? Don't you do this sort of thing all the time when working with Filthy Henry? If I wanted logic, I would have argued with a computer or told Henry to have a conversation with himself. Hmm, that's interesting. Shelley stopped at the boot of the taxi and stared across the street at two men stepping out of a pub. One of the men was a short, scrawny individual who looked like he could easily hide behind a lamppost. The other appeared to be the sort of man who shrunk his clothes in the wash on purpose to ensure that the maximum amount of muscles could be seen through the material. They were both deep in conversation with each other and hadn't noticed that Shelley was watching them. Do you know them or something? Drew asked as he handed his bag to the taxi driver. No, but I think we should get to know them, or at least follow them for a bit, Shelley said. She turned and looked at Drew. They have magic swirling around them like it's going out of fashion. It's the first bit of magic I've seen in Carliford since we got here. The druid looked at the pair again, but saw nothing out of the ordinary. This could have been because there was nothing at all to see. But Drew reckoned it was really due to the fact that Shelley had the second sight. All of his encounters with the fairy world involved charms and spells cast using Borrow's magic. Despite being a druid, he had no actual innate magical abilities, which meant in many ways Drew the Druid was blind to the mystical world around him. There could have been leprechauns playing hopscotch on the pavement directly in front of him, and Drew would never have known. Yet even the charms around his neck, the ones Drew relied upon to tell him magic was happening nearby, were doing very little. Are you sure? he asked giving the taxi driver the last of their bags to put into the car. Shelley nodded once, then jumped a little as the driver slammed the bootlid shut. She looked back across the road. Damn it! Where the hell did they go? Drew looked up and down the street but couldn't see any sign of the pair. He turned to Shelley and shrugged. Oh, I didn't see where they went. Shelley sighed in exasperation and pulled open the rear passenger side door and climbed into the taxi. Come on, we need to get back to the house and tell Henry about those two. He always says there's no such thing as a coincidence when it comes to magic. You're suddenly in an awful hurry to get back to a place you hated five minutes ago. Listen, the role of annoying wisecracker in this case is currently filled by filthy Henry Baldy, so shut your yapper and get in already. Nall parked the car between two old oak trees and turned off the engine. He looked at the hovel, their current abode in this crazy time, and shuddered. True, it was nice to be back in the land of the living, 
even if the body was not his actual one from the good old days. Then again, for in all the good old days had involved a lot of fighting, arrow dodging and clothes that just really covered bodies rather than keep them warm. Plus, it had literally been the blink of an eye between the old days and now. Rather, it had been the blink of an eye between being pierced by an arrow, but the principle was the same. He reached up absent-mindedly and touched his left eye, checking that it was still there. You do that a lot, you know, True said, tapping his own left eyelid. Since we got back. Yeah, well, shut up about it, Noel said. There was a lot to be said for this time period that they now were in. For starters, the women definitely had a nicer dress sense and weren't afraid to show off their wonderful figures. Even better, the fathers these days did not seem to shadow their daughters around the streets, meaning it was much easier to go up and talk to them. You didn't have to challenge somebody to single-handed combat or complete a quest to bring back a golden swan feather. It was all so straightforward all of a sudden. Noel wondered why the crone lived in such a hovel, out here in the middle of nowhere. The wonders of this time compared to the past were endless. Indoor plumbing, lights that worked with a simple flick of a switch, switches in general. Yet here was a place that time had seemingly forgot, whose occupant preferred to create candles from human earwax and dump buckets of foul-smelling crud out the back window every three days. His host's body had memories of the crone as well. Around Carlingford, she was called the Crone McGarry, and many people simply considered her to be an oddball hermit who lived out in the woods. Some people even thought of her as an old wives' tale used to scare teenagers away from exploring the forests, because teenagers generally used forests for other forms of exploration. From time to time, she would wander into town for supplies, then go on her way once again. On rare occasions, spurned lovers would go to her for curses, paying a fee that seemed to keep the crone profitable enough to continue living out in the middle of nowhere. Nobody actually knew that the crone was a fairy creature. The queen saw her as a valuable ally, and as such, Nall and True had to treat her with respect. At least until they got the two bulls back together for Maeve. Then the queen would be able to keep Nall and True in the land of the living, and the crone would be superfluous to her requirements. Replaceable and expendable. He knew how Maeve thought. You didn't survive in her service for long without picking up on one or two things. Noll saw the door to the hovel open and Maeve stepped out, walking over to the car as firelight streamed out from inside the hovel. She came up to the driver's side window and rapped on the glass with her knuckles. He pressed a button. Such a novel idea to make life easier. And lowered the window down with a motorised hum. My lady, Noll said. Did you find out what we needed? Maeve asked, casting a quick glance back at the hovel doorway. I did. Although there might be a slight problem. What's the problem? Maeve said. Noll looked over at True, who offered nothing in the way of advice, then turned back and faced the Queen. Well, we found out where he lives. Turns out, though, he actually sold the bull not so long ago. It would appear this man... This Cullen fella has a fondness for the drink and needed some money quickly. You're telling me that the crone's information has not revealed the location of the bull? Noel contemplated just how annoyed his queen would get when she heard the rest and kept his finger over the window button just in case it needed to be brought up again quickly. 
Not at all. But the person who purchased the bull seems to have noticed it's a very special animal. With a little reading, he's figured out that it's definitely the longest living bull around. He reckons there's money to be made by getting it declared a world record. I did, however, find out the name of the man who bought the bull. Just nobody in town knew where he moved the animal to. Slowly he started to bring the window back up, hoping that Maeve didn't notice. Her left eye had started to twitch, which had always been a good indication that the Queen was displeased and about to physically lash out at the nearest male. Most of the time this had been a lie the king. Although, after a while the king had hired a young servant boy to always be within arm's reach of Maeve. It had saved a lie many a black eye. Although the young boy had to carry his teeth around in a leather pouch after the first month in the job. When the window clicked fully into place, Nall looked over at Trug. Or rather, the empty seat where once Trug had been. Somehow the large man had managed to open the car door and get out without making a sound. Nall swore under his breath, then began to move across the seat towards the open door. The thumping on the window was all the encouragement Nall needed to move as fast as he could. Filthy Henry, Accidental Legend is a novel by Derek Power. More Filthy Henry novels are available to buy on Amazon Kindle. Narration and music by Niall Milton. To keep up to date with episodes this season, why not subscribe or like or share? We'd really appreciate it. <laughs>